Okay, so you're going to frame the topic this evening. Your wife is going to frame the topic this evening. The topic this evening is... Topic, topic. <laughs> She's looking at him, he's looking at her, I'm looking at both of you. The mood of devotees. Different moods of devotees. How to appreciate? Ah, okay, okay, okay. Everyone's really clear what the topic is, right? We'll wing it. In life, there is variety. And there's this saying, as above, so below. You've heard that. So whatever we have here exists in the spiritual world in its pure state. So here we have variety. In the spiritual world, there's also variety. There's variegatedness in the absolute realm. Isn't that good news? It's not a homogeneous blur. It's variety. But variety that's harmonious or it's sympathetic with one another. So the key is, well, the key is two things. Krishna is at the center and respect. That's the key. And then you don't, you can receive diversity and still be yourself be completely content with within diversity and still be yourself. So I, I was thinking to give th at least three, maybe four examples. We'll start with a, a nice scriptural example. From Chaitanya Charitamrita. In Chaitanya Charitamrita, it describes the associates of Lord Chaitanya who would go to Jagannath Puri every year to attend the Rathyatra festival. See, it's a nice banner of Lord Jagannath up here on the wall and another nice tapestry of Lord Jagannath on the wall back there and Lord Chaitanya embracing Lord Jagannath over here. You like Lord Jagannath? Yeah. So did the devotees of Bengal. When they went to Puri, Every year, of course, simultaneously they were, went to see Lord Jagannath and they went to see Lord Chaitanya. And then they stayed in Jagannath Puri for the rainy season. Four months association with Lord Chaitanya. Can you imagine? And then at the end of the rainy season, they were sad. They had to go back and leave Lord Chaitanya and leave Lord Jagannath. 
Lord Chaitanya, being very personal and very kind, he invited each of the devotees, every single one of the hundreds of devotees to come and see him and he would give them some kind words or some instruction or something to encourage them so they could maintain their life for the next eight months until they came to the next Ratiyatra. So there's a particular ch- section where the residents of Sri Kanda were visiting and when the residents of Sri Kanda came to see Lord Chaitanya. How many here have been to Sri Kanda? It's a very nice place, isn't it? Very, very nice place. Very nice place. Those of you that haven't been, when you go to Mayapur, see if someone will take you to Sri Kanda and that knows a little bit about the place. It's, it's a very n- simple village and uh, very devotional. You can feel the devotion in the place. So, the residents of Shikanda, in fact it was so special, just to give you some idea, that when the Jagannath cart was going in procession, there were seven kirtan parties that were organized by Lord Chaitanya. Four were from the local devotees, right, that resided full-time there in Puri, and three others were from other places. And one of them was Srikanda, where Narahari and Raghunandan and Mukunda resided, along with many, many other devotees. Mukunda, just a little appreciation of these personalities, Mukunda was a physician by trade. It was what he did to maintain his family, but his real disposition of heart was he was a pure devotee of the Lord. And he was such a good physician that the king one of the local kings engaged him as his royal physician. So one time Mukunda was visiting the king, giving him some medical attention and as the sun started to shift it was shining right upon the the, the king so um, one of the servants of the king came out with a big giant peacock fan to shade him from the sun. Very royal, regal peacock fan. And as soon as Mukunda saw the peacock fan, he thought of Krishna. And when he thought of Krishna, like we're, we've been reading in the third canto, like Uddhava was asked about Krishna by Vidura, and just sight of the peacock fan and thinking of Krishna, Mukunda became so absorbed in thought of Krishna that he went into a, an unconscious state, a swoon of ecstasy, and fell on the ground right in front of the king. The king is up on this raised seat, high, elevated platform. So the king got down and, Mukunda, are you okay? 
what happened? Mukunda, Mukunda. Finally, Mukunda regained his external consciousness. He looked at the king, and the king said, What happened, Mukunda? Are you all right? Did you faint? What happened? He said, Oh, it's okay. I have a disease, something like epilepsy. And I had an epileptic seizure, something like that. And But I'll be all right. And the king was a very elevated person. He understood by the symptoms what just happened and so on. He said, this, this isn't, you don't have epilepsy. You're a great devotee of the Lord and you saw the peacock fan. And just by the sight of the peacock feather that Krishna wears in his hair, you thought of Krishna. So that was his quality. He was pure devotee of the Lord and so was his son, Raghunandan. Long story, so it won't go to all the whole story. Raghunandan was um, trained by his father in deity worship and one day when his father was gone, Raghunandan was supposed to feed or make the offering to the deity and because he was just a little boy, he didn't exactly understand that Krishna could eat just by seeing he wanted to have the deity eat the food that he offered. So he was crying. Please, take this food. So Gopinath, seeing the intense devotion of Raghunandan, he ate the whole offering. And there was nothing left. So Raghunandan was very happy and he brought the empty plate to his mother. And Gopinath took everything. And she said, what? <laughs> said, yes. And he explained the whole thing. And she didn't know what to do. Anyway, it's a long story. But it, it ends up that when the father came back and there was nothing for him to eat because <coughs> Gopinath ate everything, he didn't know whether he should chastise his son. Maybe he ate everything and just said that the deity ate everything. Or who knows what happened. So he said, here's a nice ladu. You go make a nice offering, ring the bell, and make the offering to the deity. And same thing, the deity just stood there and Raghunanda began begging, please take, have I made some offense? Please take this offering. So the deity took a bite from the ladu and Raghunandan's father, Mukunda, saw Kopinath has eaten the food right from, his, right from the plate of... They put the ladu down and stood... <laughs> <laughs> so from that time onward, Raghunandan, just a small boy, became very famous as a also a pure devotee and a great worshipper of the deity. And Mukunda's brother was <coughs> Narahari, a very famous Vaishnava and Lord Chaitanya's associate, associate, group of associates. So, they were different in their nature and their service. So, um, when it was their turn to go see Lord Chaitanya before going back 
to Srikanda, um, Lord Chaitanya spoke to Mukunda and asked him, Mukunda, I have a question for you. Is it that you're the father of Raghunandan or Raghunandan is the father of you? Now, biologically, very clear. There's a little boy and there's his father. And Mukunda said, Raghunandan is the father because he has given me Krishna Bhakti. And one who gives one Krishna Bhakti, he is to be accepted as a father. And I am his son. Lord Chaitanya said, this is correct. You have the right understanding. This is the spiritual understanding. And he glorified them, each of them. And he then said, Raghunandan, you return to Sri Kanda and you engage in deity worship. And Mukunda, you return to Shrikanda and earn both spiritual and material wealth. And Narahari, you stay here. You associate with Gadadhar Pandit, learn Srimad Bhagavatam and assist us in the preaching mission. So these are two brothers and the son of one of the two. And they're... Um, Service is different. Prabhupada explains, very short purport, but he explains, to serve Lord Chaitanya, we need all three. We need some material and spiritual wealth. Mukunda was a householder, so he was given that duty, earn wealth, spiritual and material. We need deity worship for purification. So, Raghunandan was given that service because it suited his nature. And Narahari was a very excellent preacher, so we need preaching work to carry on the message and represent it properly and purely. So, Narahari was given that service. When there's recognition of others' service, though the key of respecting differences, we have that phrase <coughs> these days, but Krishna is at the center. The worship and devotion to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Then there can be very nice harmony, although there is diversity. That's one example. Then another example is from Srimad Bhagavatam. Actually, there's many nice examples. But from Srimad Bhagavatam, fifth canto, we find an incarnation of the Lord Rishabdev instructing his 100 sons. Nine of those sons um, became sannyasis. Actually, yeah, they became um, Mahabhagwata Vaishnavas. Some number more became sannyasis and some number more became kings. So in the same family, some it gives some indication that not only by birth but by qualification is one's 
designation to be understood, one's service or one's position. But the, the, the brothers were fully cooperative, some having this service and nature, some having that service and nature, and some being even beyond the designation of varna and ashram. Or another example is Prabhupada would speak of the the parts of the body or the head, the arms, the torso and the legs. So bodies are constructed with those parts because they're needed. We don't say, oh that's only a leg. Cut it off. Not needed. That's only an arm. We we value each of the parts of the body. We may say, well, the head is more important. But what's the head without the other parts of the body? It would be pretty strange. would be a very healthy condition, just a head without the rest of the parts of the body. Imagine a child born that's just a head. <laughs> it would be very strange. So, similarly within society, there's the head department, arm department, belly department, and legs department, but each of them are important. Prabhupada, to illustrate this, gave the example of if you have a, a pain in your toe, how much attention will you give to a severe pain in your toe? A lot of attention. You don't say, oh, cut it off, it's just a toe. You pay attention and you'll spend all kinds of money to get this pain in your toe taken care of, although it's just a toe. Similarly, all the parts of the body are important. They're created by God for serving the body. So when each of the parts serves the whole, then there's that condition of natural cooperation is nice and if one part one part of the body is not cooperating then it's not nice it's difficult for all the parts of the body if one part of the body is not functioning properly so respect for one 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 another's service. I'll share now some more immediate and autobiographical kinds of things. There was this period of time in our Hare Krishna movement when there was a a lot more book distribution going on, and it was like. Uh, it was not only a primary service, it was a very kind of um, specialized and elite service. And I remember when we would go to Mayapur, specifically, it was a very nice time because usually our, our focus as book distributors was, well, besides sadhana, it was only one thing. So it was book distribution. We read Prabhupada's books. We had full, strong spiritual program. Nice prasadam and book distribution. 
and we mainly associated with book distributors. It was very like blinders. We didn't know what was going on in management. We didn't know what was going on in the altar. We didn't know what was going on in the world. We only knew book distribution, which was very nice, very purifying. I missed a lot of intrigues that was very nice. But we rarely associated with other devotees. So when we had the opportunity to go to the Mayapur festival, it was one time of the year, where we would have about three weeks to meet devotees that did something other than what we did. It was really nice. And it was actually we spoke about looking forward to going and spending time and appreciating another service who did something completely different than what we were doing. It was it was like a, one of the important parts or the highlights of going to the Mayapur Vrindavan festival. And then it was from people from all over the world besides people that did different services, people that had different cultures and different languages and different all kinds of different things. And then Commonly, there was some mutual appreciation for the service that we were doing. And some very nice <clears throat> relationships developed just based on appreciation of the contribution that another person of another disposition was making to serve Srila Prabhupada very nicely. And then a further differentiation, even within the same service, um, different styles of kirtan, different artists and how they would portray Krishna's pastimes, different educators and how they would educate. I very vividly remember having a discussion with, with um, Burijan Prabhu on this topic because for a number of years uh, I really looked forward to teaching in Vrindavan during the month-long Vrindavan Institute of Higher Education. It gave me a double opportunity go to Vrindavan, spend the month of Kartik in Vrindavan and do some nice service, teach at the VIHG. So it was really, really nice. And Borijan was one of the persons who conceived of that and kind of oversaw and got the teachers together and the students together and he didn't do the managing but it was his like his baby, his brainchild. So, in the course of developing that Vrindavan Institute, they started developing, or he started developing Bhakti Shastri. And it became, then that became like a standard thing. He's always, not, he's, he's had a number of things that he's kind of been out ahead of the, the wave and, you know, got every, the society moving in the direction of something that would help us deepen our, our brahminical skills. So, after some years of having the Vrindavan Institute and developing Bhakti Shastri, Mayapur began a Mayapur Institute of Higher Education and a Bhakti Shastri program. So, during one GBC meeting, um, Burijan was in <coughs> Mayapur and I was surprised to see him there. I said, you're always in Vrindavan. So I was asked to come here to evaluate and uh, examine, certify the Bhakti Shastri program of the 
of the Mayapur center. He said, oh, I have some things to say about that. They do it so differently than how you do it in Vrindavan. And he said something very simple, that the essence is not how they do it. The essence is that they cover the subject material in, the, in, a, in a thorough manner. So one educator may approach this way, another educator may approach that way. As long as they cover the material and the students in the end have internalized the subject matter, that's what's important. And he gave the example just like managers. One manager may manage this way, another manager may manage that way. And that's fine, provided certain standards are maintained, there's proper financial accounting, and so on and so on and so on. The devotees are taken care of and the nice the things are kept clean and so forth. The rules, the laws of this land are being followed and certain standards. And someone will have this style and someone will have that style, that's fine. So within a, a given service, diversity is going to be there. Not only it can be there, but we're, we're individuals. Standards should not change, but personal approaches to how to apply those standards, but naturally they're going to be diverse. Then here's another one, and one that gets a little more tricky or touchy, and that's um, conservatives and liberals and the middle-of-the-road people, moderates. And um, many of you know, because he comes and visits here, his brother lives here, Prajabihari's brother lives here, so he spends time here from time to time. So you know who he is, and he, um, because of this concern of liberals and conservatives, just like in Washington, D.C., or in any part of the world, it leads to conflict between the liberals and the conservatives. Just like this whole health care debate that's been roaring and raging and one of the big issues is a liberal-conservative approach about should there be or shouldn't there be government assistance for, I hate even to say it, but, you know, third-term abortions. What that means is in the final trimester of a woman's pregnancy, should the government pay to have abortions? And our beloved liberal president says yes. And there are lots of people that say no. And that was one of the big issues that was holding the thing up. You know, and at least from... Not, they don't look at it from a theistic point of view, they just look at it from a liberal, conservative point of view. Some people say it's abominable, and some people say, you know, at last. Anyway... Within Krishna consciousness, this is um, a, a concern that arises whether things that were done during Prabhupada's time can never, 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 never be changed because Prabhupada gave them to us and they should never, never, never be changed. Never, never, never. I remember an example of a conservative concern. I won't mention the name, but one of my god brothers 
really didn't like the fact that at Mangalarti there was this other melody that Prabhupada didn't introduce and it started getting becoming popular. It's the same raga, it's the morning raga, the same notes, it's just a different combination of the notes. But he was flipping out. I mean, when people would start to sing that other raga in the morning, other melody in morning raga, he'd walk out of the temple room and, you know, tear out his sika. He was so disturbed. Very conservative fellow. And, you know, others appreciated. Yes, nothing should change. And then there's another group of persons that say we have to make our, without changing the substance, we have to make ourselves approachable for people who the in the present time can relate to the message. I mean, gee whiz, Prabhupada, look what he did. He took some things like Brahmacharini that never existed and saw that Americans, West Europeans and Americans, have this liberality when it comes to women and men. And if you don't have this liberality with women and men, just some persons are going to reject because you don't have it. Okay, women want to come and join. When Prabhupada first came, it was just brahmacharis. But it wasn't just brahmacharis that came. It was young women that wanted to practice Krishna consciousness very sincerely. So he, he coined a new word, brahmacharini. You won't find that anywhere. There's brahmachari. They just feminized it, brahmacharini. And the women, and the, when we when first started, the woman wore saffron, and the men wore saffron. The women had the women's ashram, the men had the men's ashram, and everyone wore saffron. And after some time, women wore colored saris, and men wore saffron. And then some men started wearing white, marrying the women that were wearing colored saris. <laughs> And then another ashram evolved to the Grahasta ashram. But, you know, things were that were unprecedented given the nature of the place. There was no principle that said women cannot be in the ashram, although it was a, it was a practice in India. Women are not in the ashram. And women are not on the altar. You will not see women on the altar in Vrindavan or in Mayapur. But Prabhupada introduced not only women receiving Gayatri Mantra and gave scriptural reasons why, but engaged them on the altar. He made Shalavati. I mean, it was like... Um, it wasn't accidental. He made a Mataji, the head Pujari in the L.A. Temple, and anyone who wanted to learn the standards of deity worship would go to Los Angeles and learn how to do the standards of deity worship from Mother Shalavati. And as I mentioned yesterday, Rukmini was the head pujari of Radha Govinda Temple. I mean, that doesn't happen in India. But Prabhupada made, without changing principle, he presented for the, the public that he was addressing. So some say, we have to, without changing principle, we have to be relevant and relatable for the audience that we're addressing. So those persons are called liberals. 
And then there's the conservatives that say, oh, you can't change anything that Prabhupada gave. How can you, I mean, just even to say the words, change something that our founder Acharya gave, abominable, shame on you. And then the others say, we haven't changed this, the essence. The essence is the same. Here's the essence and here it is. And it's the approach or the presentation or the packaging or and so on. And so Vrajabihari took up his resolve because he saw the conservatives and the liberals were duking it out and he studied the subject matter and found out this is how religions break apart. Because the original founder, then Jai Dwaita Maharaj was asked to do a study on schisms and he, you know, so he took up the request, did a very thorough comprehensive study on how historically it happens that splits in major religions took place and it's over the conservative and the liberal thing. So that's not exactly what your question was, but it's on the topic of, okay, I'm on this side or I'm on that side or I'm somewhere in the middle and how do I view people that are on this side or that side depending upon where I am. One of the things that um, our leadership, present leadership, has considered is it's it's valuable that when you have a committee, it's good to have some people that are reasonable moderates in the middle, and it's good to have some people that are liberals and some persons that are conservatives on the committee. Although it leads to some storming initially, you get a shared view that in the, in, the, in the world, once it gets launched or is presented to the rest of the world, you have something that makes more sense than just this or just that. But it's, you know, it's where something that a, a, a group of persons can happily move forward with because you haven't tampered with principles. And it's enough of this and enough of that that persons can participate in it wholesomely and, and thoroughly. I mean, ideally, we would have a successor acharya to Srila Prabhupada and that successor acharya would say and everyone would follow. But that's not the model that Prabhupada gave us nor is it what we presently have in circumstance. We have a group of persons and the group of persons then have to be thoughtful to respect differences and move forward peacefully, thoughtfully, gathering consensus by dialogue. But you can't have consensus through dialogue if you don't fundamentally have respect. And respect should go where it, it's deserved. But without, without having respect, I said this the other day, without having respect, you don't have a relationship. Or the fabric of relationships is respect. So how to see that there are differences and that there's differences everywhere. It's just we're all individuals. Every, every living entity has a unique, unlike another, just like it's said a snowflake. There's no two snowflakes alike, although how many snowflakes are there? How do you get so many different snowflakes? <laughs> 
I don't know if anyone's really done a study of snowflakes to see in fact that's a fact there's no two snowflakes alike but at least the principle is there diversity exists but you know this snowflake can appreciate wow look at the, that beautiful snowflake the other one and vice versa you respect the differences although there there are some essences that are in in principle important to uphold and in service unto one another we can help establish if it's missing or support and maintain if it's there those principles within one another's service and respecting that part of the beauty of God's creation is that there's diversity and and diversity is it's both natural and it's purposeful one skill or one ability or one perspective is not the total picture of everything that God has created. So you accommodate the greater picture of what God has created and you, you can easily respect and work within differences. So now the I didn't yet touch on the core of your question because the core of your question is how to not abandon your own individuality while respecting other in others' individuality. Because there may very well be a tendency in order to show my respect for another's individuality is to kind of mold myself around their individuality. Just be accommodating and be compatible to their individuality and that's being respectful to their individuality. And I do that enough times in the course of the day and I've lost a sense of who I am. I don't even know. I'm just this accommodating piece of clay or something that molded around what somebody else is. That's what I am, and then somebody else, and then somebody else, and soon I don't even know who I am, except a malleable piece of clay. So one can, one can respect differences without simply being the all-accommodating glue or something that holds people together. One can rather um, <coughs> you have to attend to your guests. You're okay? This is this is for our hostess, so I, I need her undivided attention. Okay, very good. Very good. One of the ways that we can serve others that may be different from us or similar to us is recognize or help them to recognize the gift that Krishna has given them and try to bring resources to that gift that Krishna has given them. But we have to have some sense of what is our gift 
so that we can give our gift too. And you can you can you can best assist another if you have a clear sense of what the gift that Krishna has given you is, and and that's being properly nurtured and nourished. So we'll we'll take my godbrother here and embarrass him for a moment. He has the first time I met him, there was he had he was musically inclined. I didn't know too much about Lakshman, but he has musical inclination. And in the course of time I've come to know he likes varieties of music and he likes teaching music. And he likes young people. He likes to help find what young people like and help young people do what they like. Like Dhruv, he plays tennis and teaches him tennis and teaches him harmonium and voice. And I'm sure there's a variety of other ways in which he's reaching out to serve other people, but how can he teach tennis or teach voice or teach harmonium if it isn't something that, as a God-given gift that he has, that he's nurtured? Plus, he likes his nature as brahminical and he likes Harinam. So, that gives him strength. So, he you know encourages people to go on, and not everybody runs out the door and goes on Harinam, but those that run out the door and go on Harinam have a very nice experience because they're with somebody that likes Harinam, has a great time on Harinam, and, you know, very faithful, fixed, and loyal. Not just because um, Prabhupada said, because Prabhupada said so many things, but because Prabhupada said, and it's something that inspires his heart. So now, you're a nice congregation member, or trying to be, and you know, you know, here's a nice devotee that likes Harinam. So now, and Prabhupada liked Harinam, and, you know, our movement grew on, on Harinam, and there's so many nice, wonderful reasons to go on Harinam. So, it's not that your duty is, okay, now I should, you know, put on this Harinam hat and become a Harinam Bhakta, because that's going to please Lakshman and, you know, a few other devotees, a number of other devotees. If it, you should, it should, should do, because it's, it's, it's what our teaching is, and here's a nice person who's going to lead it, and it's going to be nice. And But then there's somebody over here that says, book distribution, rah-rah, book distribution. <laughs> And Lakshman says, yes, okay, book distribution on Harinam, that's fine, book distribution on Harinam. And someone else is saying, yeah, but, you know, book distribution has so many venues, book distribution, and, you know, and somebody else over there is saying, congregation development, congregation development, someone else is saying, fundraising, fundra- deity worship, and festivals, and, and you know, your head's spinning, because <laughs> these are all nice devotees, and they, uh, Prabhupada said all these things, and... I like those devotees and I like all those things, but, you know, my head's spinning. Now what do I do? So, my recommendation, going back, is look inside and see what is that gift that Krishna has given you. And 
or gifts that Krishna has given you? What are the abilities and inspirations or and so forth? Or together with my husband, what do what do we feel is something that we can, together can really contribute to the mission of Srila Prabhupada and really inspires us and we want to do that. So then you do that. And at the same time it may be that Harinam is a thing so then you go to the book distribution person or the deity worship person or the festival person or the fundraising person and say wow I really appreciate your service. Without you know, without losing your sense of identity, whatever that calling that you feel that Krishna has given for you to do, and and it can be, you know, some of a number of things, but it also can be one primary thing, and some other things to show some support and appreciation, or exclusively one thing. But still, the appreciation should go to those who are doing other things without a sense of, oh, I'm not being, you know, I'm, I'm disappointing them because I'm not this malleable piece of clay over there. Respecting and appreciating. Seeing if there's some way that what's, what's going over, on over here that truly, really inspires me can also assist this other thing. Is that is there a nice way to do that? It would maybe be easier if um, someone just told you, do this. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm one that's not going to tell you, do this. Instead of that, do this. I had a couple of devotees recently, you know, want me to do that. I told them I'm not going to do that. And they were thinking, well, that's that's personal service when I'm told, do this, and the rest isn't. It's not so. Any of these those nice activities just mentioned, those are wonderful services, all of which were created by our founder, Acharya, and are very important. <coughs> Something, you know, some things are universal. Get up in the morning. <laughs> Take a bath. Chant your rounds and perform Mongolarti. <coughs> These things are universal. But then someone is going to have more of a liking, like, you know, anyways, that some devotees like studying Prabhupada's books and teaching Prabhupada's books. And they really like that. And that's needed. And some of the devotees are very much inspired by distributing Prabhupada's books along with studying Prabhupada's books and some are very inspired by deity worship. Like that Pujari that came to the program the other day above. And he, and he really likes deity worship. 
but that, it's not like he doesn't like kirtan, but he really likes deity worship. And that's that's needed. Raghunandan really liked deity worship. It, it, his inspiration was a great boon for the whole Vaishnava Sangha at the time. People came for miles and, you know, miles and miles across the country just to, to, to be with Raghunandan and, and be inspired by his deity worship. And that he wasn't the same as his father, or wasn't the same as his uncle, it's fine. And that his uncle wasn't the same as him, that's fine. So there's, there's diversity, and that's needed and natural. But respect at the same time. So finding, we had this seminar topic for our youth group in Chicago on finding your voice. And, you know, it took them a while to figure out, or like, what does that mean? La, 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 la. Not that kind of found your voice. But, what is it that's within you that when you express yourself, it's you? It's not somebody else speak, it's your, your, your voice, something that your way of expressing yourself in devotional service. What is it that naturally inspires you? Because there's so many things to do in devotional service. What is it that particularly gives you strength? And how do you express that strength? And grad, you know, paying attention to that within yourself and when you have... In cultivate that and when that becomes very strong then you can easily participate in activities of others and not lose yourself. Charity begins at home. So I, I started maybe a little bit broad and focused on what I thought might be what your concern is, but maybe you can ask some further questions and others can participate and we'll have more discussion type of exchange here. Anything further with this from you personally? Not for, not for the moment. Stand by, something will come. You want to add something? Uh, so half a comment, half a question. Um, I mean, I've experienced along these lines in my life that there's kind of a, a struggle to become Krishna conscious. Um, a feeling that, you know, we should follow Prabhupada, we must follow Prabhupada, even though there's a part of our nature that pulls us in the opposite direction. And so in order to subdue that negative nature, I've found myself sometimes being a little fanatical or obsessive. And the result was a kind of anxiety and not so much a calm, steady, long-term life of Krishna consciousness. Um, I don't know if it's, it's really clear what I'm talking about, Maharaj, but it, it seems that maybe a lot of people have 
that difficulty. And that eventually we have to maybe not spend so much time feeling guilty about eating an extra glob jaman, but just get on with our service. Well, hers is not about rules and regulations or standards as much as interpersonal dynamics in being, be, being social personalities. Here we are. Just, just set it down. Thanks. Here we are in a, in a mix. And you know, at least this group largely is Indian. But you know, when you start getting, go down a little bit, it's not just Indian. There's so much diversity, so much diversity. What to speak of then, you know, others with different cultural backgrounds and so on. So, how to deal with all this diversity in the interpersonal dimension without losing myself in trying to be, you know, a nice servant and uh, you know, a member of a group of persons. I need a little self-discovery, it seems, before I can be, you know, a good interpersonal mixing individual. More on, on that side than just you know my own journey of maintaining enthusiasm and steadiness in, in pursuing Krishna consciousness. Anything? Yes. Um, I was thinking that as long as there's not some sense of um, real identity of oneself, like security in that identity, there's always going to be this abandonment of our real self and wanting to kind of merge into this personality of personality, just out of that wanting to belong um, and be appreciated or um, have relationships with others. At least. <coughs> Charity begins at home. Does it fit what she just said? Like the discussion that we had today, 
the there are principal or primary or most proximate relationships and those those should be clear and secure and safe and strong and from that basis this is this is very much the, the lecture that I gave in New York and Vyasapuja Day. When when those relationships are, are very strong and very secure, you can handle anything. You know, up and down and sideways. You it's <clears throat> because that's simply another opportunity for service. Because whenever our sense of identity or as like, you know, as you put it, need for approval acceptance it's already there on a, on a deeper level and so that is that neediness is no longer out there it's as contentment and and fulfillment is already there now it's just service of this variety that variety I may I may also be a little selective So charity began at home, and those immediate persons most closely guiding us and assisting us in Krishna consciousness. There's a sign that says "Go around," right? Okay. <laughs> Is it a matter of practice and and tuning into the super soul over time? Meaning By practice, anything becomes more comfortable and natural. And I mean, if I if I if he tried to teach me how to play the keyboard, you know, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, you know, I would it, I'd be like a nervous wreck. But for him, it's you know, or driving a car, or you know, you know it's, it's not exactly the same, but having a sense of how to navigate one's way through social circumstances in the mood of trying to be a good representative of Srila Prabhupada or my spiritual master and those guiding me. That's... that's wow. 
Somebody's very determined. <laughs> before, before they break the door. Is that <laughs> Um, I'm fine, you know, just being a member of the GBC and being a sannyasi, you know, their social circumstances are regularly still coming my way. I mean, it's just here, one that just happened. I was, um, um, as the GBC chairman sitting at a table in Bombay with the the um, what do they call the steering committee for the Juhu Temple. Everyone at the table was a multi multi millionaire. And here's this little sannyasi guy from America sitting with all these multi multi millionaires, you know, as the, as one of the key speakers and I'm supposed to say something to inspire them. You know, I've never been in a circumstance quite like that. So, you know, how am I supposed to behave? But, you know, it's just service to Prabhupada, that's all. So I... Anyway. And by gradually being in this circumstance, that circumstance, another circumstance, kind of get the feel of it. It's not like I got any rehearsal or training or you know anything like that. Just it was sudden, all of a sudden I'm supposed to speak something. But represent you the Prabhupada properly. Because I've got this chairman of the GBC hat. Now I don't I'm not wearing that, but I'm sure I'll be in other circumstances where I'm supposed to represent you the Prabhupada. I think like that all the time when I'm traveling. People that never or many people that never saw a devotee, all of a sudden, you know, they're they're evaluating the whole Hare Krishna movement based upon this guy that's, you know, sitting on the same airplane with them and how does he behave and how does he speak and how does he dress and what kind of manners does he have and so on. And I'm representing our whole movement for people that don't even know what our movement is. And that's, you know, so how do you behave? But, you know, it's, 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 in course of time, it just becomes part of consciousness that I'm representative of my spiritual master and the whole movement, when, wherever I am. I can't think otherwise. I mean, it just becomes part of one's consciousness. And so many social circumstances continuously unfold. So it just becomes part of your consciousness. So that initially it's um, getting used to it. And the initial getting used to it is like learning the keyboard or learning to drive a car. It's, it's But after some time, you can... It's second nature, and then you can navigate your way very comfortably. In complex situations, you know, people that come and drive in New York, it's like, oh, how do you drive in New York? <laughs> but you drive in New York, and you become accustomed to driving in New York. I'd never drive in New York, forget it. 
So, by by experience, Krishna is a good teacher. You're sincere, and Krishna will guide you. Aside from other things that you know, practical advice or little simple points that can be made. Like Vaisheshika's uh, presentation and book distribution. Now you can't be Vaisheshika in any time, you know, however much time. But he can give some pointers and give some encouragement and some confidence, and you may not. The other person may not look upon you as, you know, what's wrong with you? You're so nervous. <laughs> but in course of time, it just becomes second nature. But, but the inside should be, I'm representing. So even if they say no, that it should be you know, a nice experience. They'll leave at least think that this is a nice person. And, and the converse is, you know, even if they buy the book, if, if afterwards they feel, oh, what, that, that, that awful person. I've had that. I, 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 anyway, won't go into it. I've met people that liked the book but really didn't like the experience at all. And so they felt bad towards the whole organization because of that bad experience of that representative that did something that was so un uncharacteristic of what the book teaches. Anyway, so we're, we're, we're not only accomplishing a service of some exchange, a social exchange with someone, but we're representing. That's get, you know, get used to it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's our life as devotees. And we're not used to... You grow up thinking like that. You grow up, you know, competing in college, in school, and, and this and that. That's, that's what we did. We didn't think this other way. Anyone else? Yeah. You talked about like a little piece of flavor. Can you, can you speak a little louder? <laughs> if I have certain mood or certain behavior, say, um, I generally say I'm I'm serious. I don't You're serious, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Got you to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. Say, <laughs> so don't mix with the people and don't talk with or something, but my mentors like me to change that. That my natural behavior is something. Maybe that's a bad thing that I uh, over a period of time acquired that due to some circumstances. Okay. So, but 
I guess not my real nature, but because my mentor said I started behaving like that. So am I actually uh, doing? Uh, am I actually wearing a different hat, which actually I'm not? And uh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Well, I don't know if your mentors are advising you to be a, a social butterfly. <laughs> But I think what they're advising you is to openly communicate yourself, what you're feeling, and those kinds of things. And at least you know certain group of persons that you you know you know and you trust, and they're trustworthy as well. That kind of thing. And <clears throat> as far as nature is concerned. I'll say two things. One is the Prabhupada said, by practice at anything, it becomes second nature. It, it, he said it many, many times, and I heard it many, many times, and I it just kind of like glossed over it because it's just one of those, something becomes second nature. But he said it so many times, I started thinking, what does that mean? What, what, what does he mean when he says that? The first one is not what a real nature is. That's one of the things he means. That, that, you know, as you said, due to certain circumstances, this has become my nature. But it's not your nature. It's a coping mechanism because of circumstances. Now let's go, you know, hit the put, not delete button, but hit the pause button and say, now, what's your nature? I don't know. <laughs> I'm this serious person, as far as I know. But that's just circumstantially conditioned. Now, for loving relationships to manifest, which is what Krishna consciousness is, it's loving relationships, then there need to be exchanges, at least those that I can repose in a trusting way, those loving exchanges. So, open to those loving exchanges with those who are trustworthy. So I'll start with you know, a small circle and, and be more expressive. And that's not against your nature. That's the nature of the soul is having loving relationships with Krishna and those dear to Krishna. That's natural to the soul. One of the things that to amplify that, one of the things that we, when we had regular, regular book distribution training, one of the first things that persons were introduced to is that book distribution is natural. Now, if you say, wait a minute, natural, where do we find people like waking up in the morning and decide to go to find somebody that doesn't want anything at all like what you're offering them and offering it to them and they say yes and that's natural? I mean, that's, that, that seems like the opposite of natural. It's very challenging, confrontational to the other person. But from a spiritual perspective, our goal is to go to Krishna. And when we're with Krishna, 
there's all types of living entities in a loving relationship with Krishna. But we're here in a place where those persons aren't conscious of that loving relationship with Krishna. So how do we, how do we relate to all those people? Just ignore them because they're not devotees that are loving Krishna. Just like, you know, pretend they're not there. We don't see them. We don't hear them. We don't <laughs> or do we relate with them? And if we relate with them, how do we relate with them? Remind them of Krishna. They may say, no, get out of here, get a job, you know, stop, stop this. But that's their conditioning, and, and beneath that is they're Krishna's eternal part and parcel. They've simply forgotten their relationship with Krishna. <coughs> so do we ignore those people or do we relate with those people? And if we relate with those people, how do we relate with those people? One of the ways to relate with those people is go and hurry on and invite them to hear the holy name, whether they like it or not. And because on the soul level, they like it. On the condition level, they don't. Maybe. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. So it's relating to them on a spiritual platform. That's natural. It's natural. But from a conditioned sense, it's the opposite of natural. So, um, I'll empathize with you that my nature, conditioned nature, growing up, was very serious. Very quiet, <laughs> very shy. I mean, you would never hear me speak anything. And you know, here my whole life is speaking something. What happened? I joined the Hare Krishna movement. <laughs> And I was engaged in going out and, you know, singing and dancing. <laughs> and then, you know, meeting people I never saw before and asking them to do something they had no interest in doing. <laughs> Taking a book about God. And liking that experience. And, you know, not, you know, a few times, but every day for ten hours. For years. And it might my nature changed. And then I was supposed to give a Bhagavad Gita class. <sighs> my first Bhagavad Gita class lasted seven minutes. <laughs> I prepared for two hours. <laughs> First Bhagavad Gita class, how long was yours? I don't even remember. <laughs> I'm just amazed that you remember your first Bhagavad Gita class. I distinctly remember. The, the Henry Street Temple on the second floor and Jai Dwitamaraj was in the audience. It was for the, 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 the ISKCON press at the time, before it was the BBT. 
and that was during their lunch time. If they get a class before they went in Harinam, and he sat and you know, <laughs> and asked Jayadwaita Maharaj to critique the class afterwards. And he was very kind. He said, "It was very good. You didn't you didn't make up anything. You just presented what Prabhupada taught, and that so was very good." <clears throat> wow. That's all you have to do? <laughs> now, what's his answer? Repeat it. Yes, that's all you have to do. That's very good. Just continue to practice and it will become natural for you. Okay. So, the conditioned nature isn't your nature. It's, it's recognizing what your conditioning is, but now... In service to Krishna, there's a higher nature, a spiritual nature, that extends oneself in loving relationships. So I can go beyond my conditioned, hammered, you know, molded self and become, you know, this creeper of devotion can begin to grow and break through the, the covering of that conditioning. Now it can work the other way. Someone can say, you know, I'm, I'm an angry person. It's just my nature. What can I do? It's just my nature. <laughs> Someone can say, I'm a drunkard. It's just my nature. <laughs> and so on. It's, it's not, you know, at the soul level, that's not our nature. So then we can do something that's distinct from that that's more in harmony with our spiritual quality, our natural spiritual quality. Start with being a servant of Krishna and having loving relationships with the devotees of the Lord. So let me practice that and become second nature. That's what's being asked, I think. Go ahead. Um, so then it seems... Most of my things are only conditioned. I don't know what's my real soul's nature. And so that means I'm... Well, you're the servant of Krishna. That's... <laughs> so, so the best thing is to become malleable to the instructions and that's that's how I realize what's my real That's a good start. Because the, the instructions aren't going to be um, you know, extreme, radical or, you know, embarrassing. They'll be incremental and, you know, suited to what a life, a Vaishnava life is like. Universal kinds of things, most likely. And so, be malleable to those. Yeah. I see your hand. Hang on. <laughs> we okay? Yeah. And uh, one thing that I found out from my strategic discussion was that I, I never cried for what I for something when I was a child. So you asked your mom. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that makes two of us. kids in the front row, they've got something they're burning to ask about. <laughs> Who's first? Of course you're first. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, Maharaj, um, 
Does every seed have a soul? Does every seed have a soul? Yes. If so, if I if an if I an apple and a seed, if I throw it in the trash, <laughs> what what happens, what happens to the seed? Depends on where the trash goes, doesn't it? <laughs> but if the seed isn't planted. Well, some they're different seeds are different. Seeds, some seeds can dry, but then this, the the soul is still there. Just like mung, you know what mung is? Like mung doll. You know what it is, right? Mung, M-U-N-G. Doll, mung doll. <laughs> so you know what mung doll is, okay? So if you go to your mom's kitchen <coughs> with her permission and take out some mung dal seeds and you lay them on a damp piece of cloth and keep putting water on the damp cloth, you know what's going to happen? Boop. A little shoot will come out, they'll sprout and you have mung sprouts because inside that mung bean or seed is a soul but it's in a dormant state did you know that <coughs> with your mom's permission you can do a little science experiment and make mung sprouts put it by the windowsill gets a little light and you have you know you have things growing very quickly you put it in salad and offer it to Krishna. And then you can hear the souls <laughs> when you're eating your salad. <laughs> okay? You had one? You had one? Yes. Envy is not our real nature. Why do we have envy if it's not our real nature? That's your question? Everyone has it. How come it's everyone has it if it's not our real nature? That's your question? You don't have any, do you? <laughs> it's in the spiritual world there's no envy. Isn't that good news? There's no envy in the spiritual world. But when we have envy towards Krishna, then we come to the material world. What's, what's envy towards Krishna? It's mentioned in a verse in Bhagavad Gita. We want to be in Krishna's position. We want to be the center. And there's a problem with wanting to be the center. One is that we're not, and another is that somebody already is. Krishna already is at the center of everything. But we want to be the center. So that's envy. We want the position of being Krishna, except we're not. So the material world is created for those who 
wish to have that illusion or wish to ha- you'll have that desire fulfilled, which is an illusory desire, that I can be the center and the enjoyer of all things that I survey. So it's not natural to the soul, but it's the nature of the material world. It's a place where people are envious. And you're right, it's without exception. Because if there, if that envy was relieved or released or removed, we can return to the spiritual world. I'll meet you there, okay? Okay. Um, I was wondering if you could elaborate um, something on um, how submission or pleasing um, spiritual master or mentors does not mean that one abandons oneself or just simply fits into their mold in some form or the other. I was thinking about that as you were addressing well it, yeah it's not it's not self-abandonment it's self-discovery it's it's illusion abandonment it's upadi abandonment. The designation that says I'm the kind of person who and fill in the blank. I, mean, I, I remember having some discussions with the devotees that said um, well I'm the kind of person that when somebody speaks like this I do like that. That's not a spiritual identity. That's a mode of nature, or you know, action reaction kind of thing. Whereas a liberated soul, one who is acting from the platform of the soul in service to Krishna, entirely according to what's appropriate for the circumstance, what's the best way to serve the person and please Krishna in serving the person, then that's what one does. What's the indication of Krishna. That's what one does. Narada is a, a, a perfect role model or example of that. He's so His versatility is huge of what he would do in different circumstances to serve another person, whether they were offensive towards him or whether they made a mistake or whether they were a great soul or whether they were an illusion. So many... so. It's not, going back to your question, it's not a matter of molding yourself around what you perceive to be a set of expectations and then putting on that identity instead of the other identity. It's not putting on some approval-gaining identity. So now I get an A in my exam and a pat on the head and five gold stars after my name. But I can rather the 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 the, the, the relationship of, of of a disciple to a spiritual master or someone who is guiding one in spiritual life and some being guided is to help that person understand 
on a, on a deeper level what their real identity is. Particularly, I mean specifically, their spiritual identity. Like I was appreciating very much the, the group that had just finished their introduction to Bhagavad Gita study and several of them were saying what they got was my real identity is not this covering. My real identity is spirit soul. I need to d- discover that more deeply. Wow, that's like, get that out of the introduction and that's a great beginning. Get that out of life and it's a, it's a great beginning. So, it's not um, abandonment of self or adopting something to accommodate the expectation of the other person so that I'll get their approval. That's not what a, a relationship, that's not what a spiritual relationship is. It's through this relationship to go beyond my conditioned conceptions and discover the spiritual identity of who I am and learn how to act in that way through that, to the assistance I'm getting with from that person, and as that grows, continuing from our discussion this afternoon as well as this evening, then I can enter into other social relationships from that position, where I'm Krishna's servant, and I'm serving this one, and I'm serving that one, and I'm serving that one, and I'm serving. Whoever, whatever all the relationships are, it's the servant of Krishna. Here's this opportunity for service, here's that opportunity for service. So many opportunities for service. But it's from the position of my identity as a servant of Krishna, perhaps of a particular disposition or spirit. I can accept, even knowing I'm not a sannyasi, I'm not a grahastra, I'm not a this or a that. I can act within that role, not accepting that as my identity, but being not being not a disturbance within society, acting within that role, and still being myself. Servant of Krishna. Serving others in this capacity, that capacity. Sarvopati vinir bhuktam tat paratvena nirmalam rishikena rishikesha sevanam bhakti ruchate. And that verse is a definition of what bhakti is, and the relationships of spiritual master, one guiding me, is they're assisting me to come to that stage of consciousness. Not that I adopt what I think they're expecting of me. And then I get an A. But what's they're, they're being sent by Krishna to help me find my real identity. Starting with, well, I'm not the body and therefore I'm not the designations of body. Then who am I? Well, I'm the spiritual entity. Okay, let me go more deeply into that spiritual conception of life through the guidance of that I'm receiving, that Krishna is sending me. Yes? Krishna 
is, I was just thinking of this, the talents that you're talking, whatever the talent that we have, um, the gift that we have, we have to nurture it so that we can serve Krishna. Hmm. But I was thinking of it, if we uh, uh, from myself, it's like, it's, I, I find uh, in everything the same interest, but uh, it's not that the particular thing, we, uh, some devotional service, which is uh, more attractive for me like that. So, how can I see that it, it, some some gift is there within me so that I can nurture, so that I can As with most people, you also have a family. So identify those things that you need to do to be the mother and the wife of your family members and do those things nicely. Makes it simple, right? <laughs> And while you're doing those things, you'll simultaneously be doing your sadhana. So there's some chanting, there's some worship, there's some cooking, there's some reading. And you notice which are those things that really give you strength. And pay extra attention to whichever of those things really give you strength with some balance because you like many things but what particularly gives you strength put it extra attention there and watch it grow and that will give strength to the other things that you do by that which you gives you the greatest strength then you can start picking out some areas where you know that there's some shortcoming some weakness, some bad habit, and borrow strength from those things that give you strength and apply it to where there's some weakness. But make sure you're doing those things that give you strength, along with you know, being the servant in the roles that Krishna has already provided you. Starting within the family, and then immediate circles surrounding and going out. Let's start with the family. Okay, let's have Kirtan. Oh, one last question. Two questions. Two questions. <laughs> um, well, the first question is, um, like if some like sudden or like unexpected situation arises, um, from a Krishna conscious like point of view, you can like derive many different angles, like like a lot of lessons kind of thing okay. but I don't know am I speculating when I'm like trying to see which like what exactly Krishna is trying to like you know like you know is it because probably. I'm not being sincere so probably you're speculating <laughs> <laughs> because what does Bhishma Dev said Bhishma Dev says who can understand the plan of the Lord so if you're like spinning out trying to understand the plan of the Lord you just go read the Bhagavatam and Bhishma Dev will say you're speculating <laughs> But at the same time, it's not like you, can, you just like don't consider what's, what's, there's some indication here. 
Now, so the precision of what Krishna is wanting, and I may not be so sure about, but a, a, a general, a broad sense of some lesson. And we, we've been through this in the course of this visit. Reactions may not be immediate, so I can't necessarily cause and effect. But something... So leave your um, receivers open for some signal from Krishna. This is the message I'd like you to receive. With something unexpected comes. At least one thing you can know. Be more attentive to Krishna. Prabhupada uses this word reversals. And so like, you know, it's like you're going in forward and all of a sudden you're going in reverse. What happened? Some force came and moved you in the opposite direction. And you, you, so, turn your attention to Krishna. Become more dip, um, surrendered or, or dependent upon or conscious of Krishna. For sure. And then in that state, Krishna may give you a particular signal that says, this is what I want you to understand from this. And otherwise, it may be just an opportunity to be grounded in strong dependence upon Krishna. And you can ask others who are close to you, guiding you, and seek, if you get some inspiration, seek some confirmation from them. Next. Um, my second question is regarding like prayer and free will. Um, say like someone is praying for someone, and like say they want like they're praying so that that other person can become like a better devotee, um, and that all, that person also has free will. So I was just wondering like how does that prayer like how does that play a role? Okay. In addition to you who have free will and the other person who has free will, something that you share in common is Krishna is in the heart of both. And the person that you're praying to is Krishna who is in the heart of the other person. Now Krishna isn't going to interfere with their free will, but Krishna may create a circumstance that helps them make a good choice. Um, Prayer is powerful. Where where the well wishing of a vai- one Vaishnava goes to another who may be Vaishnava or not a Vaishnava, like Prahlad Maharaj offered his prayer, or Vasudev Dutt offered his prayer, and benediction went their blessing went to that other soul without taking away their free will but creating circumstances that were favorable for them to take shelter of Krishna more. The well-wishing of a Vaishnava upon others, compassion of a Vaishnava is very powerful. It doesn't change the free will of the other, doesn't um, take away the free will of the other, but it can bring auspiciousness into the life that makes it easier for them to say yes when Krishna opportunity knocks at their door instead of saying no.
ahead. Um, so as a neophyte, is it all right? Is it like better for me just to pray for myself, like concentrate that, or is it? <laughs> well, it's it's good. You can't give something to other yeah. people that you don't have. So, but if you if you're feeling genuine concern for the well-being of another, that's that's very nice. That's not to be discouraged or say, don't do that, better improve yourself. Pray for the, for, for the well-being of others who, are, who you, you feel that towards. Pray for Krishna's intervention and mercy. That's nice. That's not, and it's, it's, it's a natural spiritual emotion. Okay, here we go.